Welcome to New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot Maloney, a Benedictine monk and professor of New Testament Studies at St. Vincent Seminary, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Hello, this is Brother Elliot. I would like to talk about righteousness in the Gospel of Matthew now. I'll tell you, we've talked uh, about the general outline of Matthew, and um, we've talked in particular about the Sermon on the Mount. But I would like to get at a wonderful, wonderful idea, perhaps a central idea of Matthew, and that is righteousness. This is a very rich notion in Matthew. It's a little bit different from the pure giftedness of righteousness or justice the way St. Paul sees it. I think the difference is because righteousness is such a, uh, such a Jewish thing. It's something that the Jews have by inheritance, as it were. They have to keep the law in order to remain just, but they, they kind of grow up in it. St. Paul says, we are who are Jews by nature. We, we grew up, we're lifer Jews. They, they have something. Uh, so for Matthew, we see that righteousness is not an entitlement. It's not merited, but it is their inheritance. It is a promise from God that God does not break but it needs to be perfected in its understanding by the teaching of Jesus. Okay, now, the way, of course, that we do uh, uh, the exegesis or the interpretation of a particular understanding, theme, or word in a biblical text is that we go to a concordance and look up and see those words and where they're used in the text. Well, if we do that, we go to see that the root dikai in Greek, which has the meaning of just or justice, is rather common in ancient Greek. It's used quite a bit by Matthew uh, in the regular sense of a just Jewish person, a person who basically is a law doer, a law abider. They do the Ten Commandments. That's a just person. It's very interesting, even the, uh, the word to make one just, to justify, in Matthew only occurs two times, and it just really means to acquit somebody of, of an of a unjust uh, accusation. No, but the word justification, or better in English, the righteousness, dikaiosune, that's the abstract in Matthew, is really worth looking at. And it's funny, it only occurs, I think, what is it, seven times in Matthew, two times with John the Baptist, and then five times in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why is such a central concept confined by Matthew to the Sermon on the Mount? Well, uh, let me just 
uh, iterate for us again the content of the gospel, and we'll see that Matthew uses the the teaching on the special teaching on righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount because there are other components that he needs to flesh out the teaching of Jesus and, of course, the story of Jesus. And so he concentrates everything in the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on Righteousness. Let's just take a quick look at um, the the gospel itself. Part one is a Christology. It's the first four chapters. It presents Jesus' identity. He's the Messiah, Son of God, in Jewish tradition. Matthew emphasizes from the get-go, from his genealogy, Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He's the Messiah for sure. And all the way through, by all the, and this was done to fulfill the scripture, this is the way Matthew says that Jesus is the exact Messiah that the entire Old Testament pointed to and that all the Jewish people were expecting and waiting for. He's presented then as the Son of God, as Emmanuel, God with us, God's being present in Jesus for us. Even Jesus' name itself means God saves, salvation of Ael, of God. We know the central function of Jesus in Matthew is a new righteousness because he's the new lawgiver. In Judaism, surpassing Moses, the original lawgiver used by God, now it's completed. It's fulfilled. You have heard uh, the 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 uh, not. I have not come to take away the law, and not one little iota of the law will be taken away until all things come to pass. Jesus, of course, is eschatological judge, and this is something new we see in Mark because of his authority, because of his teaching. There are ramifications. There are consequences if you do not follow his teaching. And finally, Jesus is the servant of God, the one predicted way back centuries earlier in that part of Isaiah, the suffering servant, the servant of God, songs. And it emphasizes the meekness of Jesus, the one who deals gently even with sinners who cares for the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks among God's people. This is the one who lays down his life in ransom for our sins. Well, that's the first four chapters. Part two is the presentation of the kingdom as the home of righteousness. So it's really the Sermon on the Mount. That's part two. The next section... And so we're going to look quite a bit at that idea of righteousness. But let's just look briefly at the rest of the gospel. The next section, chapters 8 to 10, show the kingdom in action in a series of miracles, one after the other, by Jesus. Then Matthew shows the crisis 
of his ministry begins to happen when the religious leaders now piqued by the popularity of Jesus and his teaching, they now start asking what is going on? Where is the sign from heaven? In chapters 11 to 16. Well, from there, of course, the gospel is all downhill from Jesus starts predicting that he's going to suffer and die. And he also includes the affliction that all his true followers will have. Then we see he makes a very strong confrontation to all takers, anyone of the leadership who wants to come and challenge Jesus, come right ahead, and he takes care of them, um, ending up with the beautiful sermon Uh, the eschatological sermon at the end in chapters 24 and 25. Well, the end of the gospel, of course, is the two chapters, 26 and 27, the passion, suffering, and death of Jesus. And then, finally, the resolution of everything in the final chapter in the resurrection when he overcomes all the oppression because God has raised them again, and he sends the disciples out on their worldwide mission, which, of course, is the church. Okay, back to righteousness. Now, let's take a look at the exact text. First of all, uh, in chapter 3, verse 15, we see that John the Baptist does not want Jesus to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me. Jesus said to him in reply, Allow it now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. When Jesus says this, he means that even though he has no personal sins, to make reparation for. He shares the mood and the ritual for repentance for sin of his whole people, the chosen people of God, who are supposed to be a witness of the goodness of God to the whole world. This is righteousness because it is what God wants, the beginning of the movement to change the world to be more like God wanted it to be. From the beginning of creation. Now, we go immediately to the Sermon on the Mount, and we have the first of these five sayings, and it is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. This, of course, is the fourth beatitude, those sayings of Jesus in a collection of nine beatitudes in Matthew. Matthew changes the original, for we can see in the Gospel of Luke that probably their source said, blessed are those who hunger. But Matthew changes it to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness to spiritualize it for his community. Hunger and thirst means a desire for the whole world, or at least for the whole church, to be righteous 
Righteousness is a way of summing up all the Beatitudes that carefully lay out our behavior and our attitude to both God and our brothers and sisters. Next, we have the um, uh, eighth Beatitude, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. This shows the commitment that we have to make in our lives to do God's will in righteousness and how many other people will not like our insistence on doing God's will in sharing the poor, in helping those who cannot care for themselves, and being just in all we do and say, no matter what the consequences. The next use is in the verse, chapter 5, verse 20. And here Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom. Well, this means that uh, those who have not accepted his teaching, namely the Pharisaical movement at that time, at least the way Matthew is perceiving it now in his community in the late first century among that Jewish leadership uh, that was renewing the Jewish religion, um, they were doing it without considering Jesus to be the Messiah. For Matthew, that is, of course, a great uh, omission. And if they reject Jesus, then they can't, they must be rejecting the interiority of Jesus' teaching and the fidelity to a personal co relationship with Jesus to God. This can be a definition of Christianity. Okay, the next use of righteousness. Chapter six, verse one, still in the Sermon on Sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Take care not to perform deeds of righteousness in order that people might see them. Well, that pretty well stands for itself, doesn't it? You can absolutely throw everything away, even if you're doing the right thing. If you do it for the wrong reason, if you do it so people see. Then the last one in the Sermon on the Mount is from chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you besides. All these things in this saying refers to the basics of life. What are we to eat? What are we to drink? What are we to wear? Now, here we see the absolute parallel between righteousness and seeking God's kingdom. Remember, kingdom doesn't mean a place. Kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, means God being the heavenly king in your life now, the one you obey in all things. So, of course, it is not just in these texts in the Sermon on the Mount that righteousness occurs. Uh, or that it's being spoken about, all the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is uh, in the teaching. In the antitheses, you know, the, you have heard it said, 
you shall not uh, kill, but I say to you, you shall not be angry with your brother. All of those, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. In the Lord's Prayer, when we wish for God's greatness, when we uh, ask for forgiveness as we forgive, in the admonitions to dependence on God, in the chapter 7 of the sermon, in against judging uh, others, and finally, as Jesus says in conclusion, only the one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom. So the kingdom is doing God's will. It's where we want to be as church. It is entered by the righteousness that God gives. Now, there is one more little saying on righteousness in Matthew. Jesus says to the priestly aristocracy way later in chapter 21, uh, when John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him. Here, Jesus reprises his judgment on the righteousness of John the Baptist's prophetic action. We saw back in chapter 3 when Jesus said, I'll be baptized with John's baptism to fulfill all righteousness. All right, let's wrap this up. Let's conclude the definition of righteousness. Let's use a little help from Father Frank Matera. He has a wonderful little book on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, righteousness is a single-minded devotion to God to be lived out in one's whole life by following the teaching of Jesus. I add, both in the words of Jesus and in the deeds of Jesus. We can see that it's perfection in wholehearted and undivided allegiance to God. That's Frank Matera's words. And then I would say we are called by it to Christ discipleship in the kingdom, which is breaking into the old age already now. Righteousness finally say is God's own love taking over our lives to be like Jesus himself for the world for its broken people. What an excellent goal to have in mind for every day and every contemplated action. What a sure teaching from God's own Son and our Lord. This is Brother Elliot Maloney. Thanks for listening in today. See you again on New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot.